Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch. I'm Roy Holly, along with Alvin Bailey and our host, Kim Bilotto. Kim, Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine recently produced State of the Energy Luncheon, an event that brought business professionals and elected officials together to talk about the state of the energy industry and what we should be looking forward to in the coming months. That's right, Roy. Don't forget, you will have a chance at the end of the show to win a $75 gift certificate to the beautiful Palm Restaurant in Houston, Texas. Kim, the State of Energy event in Corpus was a huge success, to say the least. Um, let's talk a little bit about it. Well, Alvin, you're absolutely correct. It was sold out. People were waiting in line to see if they could purchase tickets. And I think the reason why it was so wildly successful is because Corpus Christi gets it. It's an energy town. It's being transformed by the companies that are moving in to the port and around the port and so, therefore, there's a huge buzz. Everybody wants to know about energy in Corpus Christi because they are getting and they are the benefactor of an indirect hit from the Eagle Ford shell. And because of that, this is why I believe that the city itself and the people that live in it get it, that energy is important, and that's why they attended. Same thing will happen with San Antonio. We're not directly having energy drilled in our backyard, but we are definitely wreaking the benefits of having Eagle Ford in our backyard. And therefore, well, energy is going to be important. San Antonio is such an important distribution hub for the state of Texas that we can't help but be an energy town. That's just what we are. That's right. And so people who want to engage, want to sell product, want to learn more, this is the event for them to attend if they want to know more about this topic. Kim, is the San Antonio event sold out yet, or can you still get tickets for that? If so, how do you get tickets to the San Antonio State of Energy Luncheon? They can go to shellmag.com slash state dash energy. Again, that's shellmag.com slash state dash energy. And with that, we need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. I'm Alvin Bailey along with Roy Holly and our host, Kim Bilotto, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G dot com to learn more. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. Would you like to grow your business? Would you like to improve awareness of your brand? Any business can benefit from advertising in the oil and gas industry. Did your business benefit from this thriving industry? Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine will keep you in front of customers that you need to grow your business. If you want to grow your business in Texas, email us, info at shalemag.com. That's info at S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G 
com or call 210-240-7188. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. You know, I could spend the next 60 seconds telling you how Blue Bonnet Ford sells more Super Duty trucks than any other dealer in South Texas. I could also tell you that Blue Bonnet Ford sells more fleet vehicles than any other Ford dealer in South Texas. I could even tell you about the 13 President's Awards that Blue Bonnet Ford has received, but I'd rather tell you why. Look, it's no secret the oil patch will punish your work trucks day in and day out and even your built ford tough trucks well they need to be serviced too so do you let them sit for weeks at your local dealership or do you call teresa you see blue bonnet ford has teresa when you call teresa her team will pick up your ford truck for service and provide you with a 24-hour diagnosis most authorized repairs are done and your truck is delivered back to the oil patch in just a few days that's the Blue Bonnet difference. So don't let downtime cost you thousands. Call Teresa today and keep your fleet working. Here's the number, 210-643-4391. Again, write it down, 210-643-4391, or check us on the web at bbmotors.com. Blue Bonnet Ford, a proud member of the Kalig Auto Group. The inaugural State of Energy event is coming up on December 9th from 1130 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Pearl Stables in San Antonio, Texas. The event is sponsored by Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine, Steer, and the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Our speaker lineup will include Halliburton, Senator Uresti, Omar Garcia of Steer, and more. Sponsorship packages and tickets can be purchased by contacting Blanca at the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Call 210-225-0462. Once again, that's 210-225-0462. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. I'm Alvin Bailey along with Roy Holly and our host, Kim Bellotto. You know, Kim, we've got a really special show today. We're going to revisit the State of Energy Luncheon, so let's get to it. At this time, it is my pleasure to introduce to you our keynote speaker, Matthew Most. He is Vice President of Government Affairs for Encana. As Vice President of Government Affairs, uh, Matt's team is responsible for key U.S. policy initiatives and governmental relations. Matt has been in the energy industry for nearly 20 years joining Encana in 2020 and assuming a variety of leadership roles. Most recently, Matt served as Vice President of the Natural Gas Division, responsible for providing compressed and liquefied natural gas and fueling solutions to a variety of industries. At this time, we'd like to welcome Matthew Most. Please join me in welcoming him. Thanks, Omar. You know, first I'd like to, um, you know, Omar's pretty pretty um, humble about STEER. STEER is probably the most effective community relations organization we've ever had the good fortune to be part of. Uh, Omar's an ambassador for our industry. He puts tens of thousands of miles on his truck driving around the Eagleford talking about the great things going on in oil and gas, and we're really grateful. So thank you, Omar. Also, before I get into my comments, I'd just like to introduce a couple of colleagues I brought with me today. I have the good fortune of having Dr. Jeff Balmer with us. Jeff, can you stand for a minute? Jeff runs our Eagleford operations. If you have any questions about what we do there and you actually want an answer that makes sense, here's your guy. <laughs> and we also have Justin Newman with us. Justin's on our government relations team. He's also responsible for our policy efforts here. So thank you, guys. So first I thought I'd introduce you to Encana. You know, Encana's probably the biggest oil and gas company that you probably haven't heard of. Uh, we're, we're a um, $7 billion company. We have 3,000 employees, and we operate in five states. Um, we are massive investors in the oil and gas space. Just in our capital programs, we invest about $2.5 billion every year in the U.S. 
And we produce almost $2 billion in taxes and royalties every year. In fact, in last year, in 2014, we made a dramatic investment here in Texas. We spent $12 billion. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's good. Couldn't, I couldn't have planned. Oh, that's great. I, there's another part in this where that would have gone better, but anyway. So we invested $12 billion last year in the Eagleford Shale and in the Permian, so in South Texas and West Texas, making in Canada one of the largest investors in the U.S., and oil and gas properties. In order to accomplish that, we sold about the same amount, $10 billion worth of assets elsewhere so that we could invest here in Texas. Most recently, we sold assets in Louisiana in the Haynesville and just last week in Colorado in the DJ Basin. And all this is part of us setting out to reinvent in Canada. And what we were trying to do is reinvent in Canada around the best rocks, near the best markets, and with the best business climate where we possibly could deploy our capital. And our strategic review led us here to Texas, because Texas is where we believe there's a great future. We see an enormously fantastic resource base and great resources in terms of the people to work with in order to get the job done. So I thought I'd talk to you today about the energy revolution. You know, the, this, this event is really a fantastic opportunity for us. We really want to thank Shell Magazine and the, and the Chamber for wanting to do this type of state of energy event. You know, we need every opportunity we can get to talk about what's going on in our business to talk about how we're trying to respond to it, because it's changing all the time. You know, I like to think you wouldn't join the energy industry if you didn't like change. It's changing all the time because our markets move so quickly, our technology moves so quickly. It's very, very challenging to keep up with. So every opportunity we can get to interact with you and see a room of this many people come out to talk about energy is wonderful for us. So the energy revolution that we're experiencing is really a function of innovation, and it's a function of what makes this country great in terms of economic spirit. So to bring you up to speed, what we've done in the last five years is we've virtually doubled the amount of oil we're producing from about 5 million barrels a day in 2008 to now we're back up to the levels that we saw last in 1970, of almost 10 million barrels a day. This was unbelievable when you think about just a few years ago, it was very common to talk about peak oil, that we were going to have a declining resource, we were going to be importing energy, and all of the ramifications of that. So this success is based on a few ingredients. It's great to take a couple minutes just to think about them. And the first one is that here in the U.S., we have access to land and resources that you don't have in the rest of the world. So private enterprise allows us to own minerals Whereas most of the rest of the world, virtually the rest of the world, the state owns those minerals. So private enterprise, the ability to have those minerals in our hands made this possible. We also had a very talented pool of people. Uh, we have access to world-class pipelines and rail systems. We have resources here which connect us to the rest of the world through a refinery system that is second to none on the planet. We also have a uh, competitive environment. You know, this really is a function of competition. Our industry is incredibly competitive. It's in competitive on a technical basis. It's in competitive on a, on a business basis. So as one company developed a technology and implemented it that was quickly copied and improved upon by others, that competitive market that we live in is what made the shale revolution happen here and not elsewhere. And then finally, the last point, you know, we, we, we like to talk about regulation a lot, but really it is the regulatory framework of our market that allowed us this to happen. We have, a, we have a stable business environment. We have regulatory paths that allow us to produce our products in an environmentally sustainable way that's safe for our workers and creates a stable business environment, which is essential to investment. 
So with all this in place, we always knew that there was an enormous resource in our shales. The challenge was we didn't know how to get it out. So the porosity of the rocks that we're working with is, is similar to cement in my layman's terms. And as a result, this was a resource that wasn't available to us. And it's really incredible when you think of the tenacity of people who were able to develop this technology and really take ideas that were existing, whether it be horizontal drilling or older technologies like hydraulic fracturing and putting them together that made this shale revolution happen. So what does all this mean? What does it mean for us as business people? What does it mean for our families? And the first thing that I like to remind people is that you know, we have a stable energy supply that's reliable. This is something that we didn't anticipate just a few years ago. It's, it's not only reliable, it's allowed us to get to the point, for example, in natural gas that we're self-sufficient. And that we have LNG terminals like the one here in town that years ago, not that long ago, we were expecting to use as export facilities, uh, import facilities, and now we'll be using as export facilities. Just unheard of. And part of that's because natural gas is affordable and energy is affordable. We enjoy some of the lowest gasoline prices and electricity prices in the world. A 2014 study by American Petroleum Institute, API, found that U.S. school districts saved over a billion dollars in energy just the last school year. And that was enough to employ over 14,000 teachers. In fact, every U.S. household, the average U.S. household, will spend $550 less on gasoline this year than last year. We also have a situation where we're dramatically importing less energy than we were just a few years ago. That's had fantastic implications for the trade deficit and has increased our energy security. And then finally, from an environmental point of view, we're producing this energy in a very environmentally sustainable fashion. We operate in this country under some of the highest standards that any oil and gas industry operates on across the planet. In fact, if you look at the uh, greenhouse gas emissions inventory that EPA puts out every year, the latest data just came out last week, and our methane emissions, which is a big subject of conversation these days, are down for the third year in a row. And this is before any regulations have been put in place to regulate emissions of methane. We've also seen the lowest greenhouse gas emission reductions, the, the greatest greenhouse gas emission reductions of any country in the industrialized world because our natural gas prices are so low that we've had enormous competition in the electricity industry for that natural gas to compete with other fuels, bringing down our greenhouse gas emissions to the lowest levels they've been in 20 years. So then we'd like to think a little bit about what has this done for the economy. And I don't think we talk enough about how meaningful this revolution is for our economy. Since $2,000, our industry has invested $3 trillion in the U.S. economy to satisfy energy demand. Now, three, through our day-to-day -day operations, that adds up to $3 million per hour just in taxes and fees that we pay into the economy. Our industry employs 2.6 million Americans and supports another 7.2 million jobs in other industries. Our supply chain is enormous. It touches almost all 50 states. And this increased production has lowered energy costs, thus adding more than half a million manufacturing jobs and kicking off a manufacturing revolution like we haven't seen in many, many years. The oil and gas industry almost single-handedly brought us out of the last recession. If you look at job growth, virtually all the job growth that we experienced between 2008 and 2012 happened in the oil and gas industry in places like the Eagleford Shale. This was offsetting dramatic job losses in other industries. The, um, the benefits of this go to every worker, whether or not you're in the oil and gas industry. And we've done studies in areas where we operate, and we've seen that for every dollar that we invest 
in oil and gas. 65 cents goes directly into the local economy. That's taxes that pay for schools, roads, and other critical public services. And it's also royalties that go to landowners who are allowing us to produce their minerals. So this, uh, this new energy superpower that we've created is going to be around for years to come. And you don't have to look too far other than Texas to see why that's the case. Just the Permian and the Eagle Fert alone together today produce 4 million barrels of oil a day. This is amazing because considering five years ago, collectively, they produced less than one. When you put this in context, countries like, say, Iraq, for example, produce two to three million barrels a day. And we think of them as large producers. Look at the state of Texas. The state of Texas is larger than, than all but eight of the uh, other producing countries in the world. But what we're facing today as a result of this fantastic increase in supply is that we've outstripped demand. And we've seen oil prices come down dramatically, about 50% over the last year, as a result of our success. And this has had an enormous toll. And what we're, we're seeing the industry do in response is the only thing we can do is we've dramatically cut our capital investment. So the amount of money that we're able to invest in our fields has gone down as the price of oil has gone down, as you would expect. The impact of that is about 35% or about $50 billion this year alone. The impact of that is about 1,000 less rigs are running this year than were last year at about this time. And there are many different estimates, but if you assume the International Monetary Fund's estimate of about 200 jobs per rig, we're talking about 200,000 jobs less in the oil and gas industry than there was just, just a year ago. So how do we survive this? How do we, how do we prosper through this cycle? There's been cycles before. If you've spent time in the energy industry, that's sort of the name of the game. Uh, commodity businesses are, are notorious for ups and downs, and this being a very challenging one, we're no different. And the first thing that we have to do that we're working on very hard is we're just taking advantage of the fact that in our culture, our engineering culture is one of optimization. Our DNA is based on how do we do things better, faster, cheaper. We have an incredible team of passionate people who wake up every day trying to figure out how to do what we do in a better way. As a result, we're on track to reduce our costs by $375 million this year through efficiencies. For example, in the Eagleford, when we acquired that asset last year, the cost of producing well was in the ballpark of $7 million a well. In Q2, Jeff's team had that down to six, and hopefully by the end of the year, we're projecting that we'll be in the ballpark of $5.6 million a well. You know, that's a 30% reduction so far, a further 10% reduction later in the year. That allows us to keep those rigs turning and hopefully put more rigs to work. And we can only do this in a safe environment. No cost reductions are ever acceptable if they compromise our safety standards. And what we've found is that even through this, we're having the best safety year we've had uh, in, quite, uh, in our company's history, and our metrics are as good as they've ever been. But unfortunately, we don't have control over all the elements of success. That's the nature of being a commodity player. We have to respond to the market that we're in. But in some cases, we have one arm tied behind our back. And some of those are in the area of policy, which I spend a lot of time thinking. The most important one of which right now is that we compete in a global market, but we can't achieve global pricing for our product. Uh, as a result of some outdated laws, uh, particularly one from 1975, we cannot currently export crude oil. Uh, we can only export crude oil to Canada as a result of some prior agreements and in some very limited cases, but we don't have the ability to export oil in a, uh, in a major way. Uh, 
Of course, gasoline, refined products, what we produce at our refiners are all freely able to access the world market. Did you know there's only three commodities, and I often try to challenge people to name the other two, but there are three commodities that you can't export that are otherwise legal in the U.S. Crude oil, of course, is one of them. Uh, the other one is, the other two are uh, horses for slaughter by sea and redwood trees, whole unmilled redwood trees. Virtually everything else can be exported. And unfortunately, crude oil is not one of those, which is odd for a country like the United States, which is a champion of free trade. But what we would like to achieve is get to the point where we can have access to the same, um, the same ability to access the world market that Iranian oil producers will soon have that we currently do not. Now, this uh, policy can be changed very quickly. Uh, the current policy allows executive order to make the change, but we have um, been working with Congress to try to make that happen either through Congress or through the administration. But since we haven't been able to make that happen yet, today, depending on the day, we receive anywhere up to $10 less for a barrel of oil here in the States than that our competitors receive for the same barrel overseas. And it's incredible um, to think what the opportunities would be if we could change that state of affairs. So some things that we would expect to happen if we could lift the ban the first is that lifting the ban would reduce the price of gasoline for all Americans. The price of the pump is tied to the global price of crude. And if we were able to produce more crude oil here and export that overseas, that would bring more supply to the world market. That would put a downward pressure on world prices for oil, which would then further put downward pressure on gasoline prices. This is something that's been uh, validated by third-party studies, not the least of which one's done by the U.S. government, including the Energy Information Administration recently came out with a study validating this, but also uh, the Government Accountability Office and the Congressional Budget Office all agree that downward pressure on gasoline prices would be one benefit of lifting the ban. A second benefit would be uh, increase in tax receipts, job creation, and investment. So if we were able to close that differential between U.S. prices and global prices, about half that value is collected in the form of taxes and royalties. Because that's because many of the taxes on our industry are revenue-based taxes rather than income-based taxes. That helps finance schools, roads, public services. And with that additional revenue, what we would do is run more drilling rigs, which would create high-paying jobs and ultimately generate more tax revenue not the least of which would be the jobs right here in Corpus Christi as we export that oil largely from the Eagleford Shale and plays in Texas to the world right outside our window here. In fact, the uh, IHS Consulting has estimated that 394,000 jobs could be created as a result of this and $86 billion of GDP. Third point we'd like to remind people of is that if we were to lift the ban, that would have a very stabilizing effect on, US, on, on global supply of oil. You'd be adding additional production from a very stable supplier in the United States, perhaps competing with suppliers from less stable regions of the world. And in our notoriously volatile energy markets, that would be a big deal. It also would enhance our energy security in that we could send this oil to our allies so that they can choose to do business with us rather than some trading partners who may not be as friendly. And then finally, we've, what we've seen is that there's a virtual unanimous chorus that this is the right policy outcome from some of the best thinkers in the U.S., as well as from polls that we've seen where two-thirds of Americans support the sale of U.S. crude to our trading partners. And none of these benefits have to come at the, benef at the expense of the refining sector. 
I like to remind people that the very premise of an export implies that overseas where you're sending the product is a higher value market than the one from which you're coming from. So there's a differential in price you're trying to capture by exporting. That inherently means that you know, if there is an export market, crude oils will be cheaper here than they are overseas, which means our refineries would still have a significant advantage over their overseas competitors. So it's important to note that last week was a big week in this uh, crude oil export debate, and Texas has played a huge role in that. Uh, we were able to see um, Congress move the ball, the ball significantly with Congressman Barton and Congressman Cuellar's bill in the House of Representatives receiving overwhelmingly support. And this is a bipartisan bill, and we're very hopeful that the Senate will take that momentum forward as we go through the balance of the year, and we'll find a vehicle in the Senate to move the same legislation. Now, a competitive and successful oil and gas industry is fundamental to the quality of life that we all take for granted, as some of the speakers have said so far today. Now, allowing U.S. oil to flow wherever it is demanded will keep world oil prices lower while benefiting American producers, refiners, and citizens. America's energy renaissance really symbolizes America at its best. The result's a strong and responsible innovative energy sector that has turned America into an energy superpower. The benefits are enjoyed by us all. You know, it's also an incredible time to be an energy, Texas, a Texas energy producer. Texas is at the center of one of the great business stories of our time, the U.S. oil and gas renaissance. And we are in Canada are really proud to be here in Texas and play our part. And I'm really grateful to the Chamber and Shell Magazine for, for putting this event on today and giving us an opportunity to chat about this a little bit. And I look forward to meeting some of you and, and having a further conversation on this today. So thank you for the opportunity, and I appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone that showed up and made this event such a great success. That's right, Kim. The State of Energy and Corpus had such a great turnout, and San Antonio's event's going to really not be any different. So congratulations, Corpus Christi. You get to be the topic of today's trivia question. If you're the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shalemag.com, you'll win a $75 gift certificate to the beautiful Palm Restaurant in Houston. Here's today's trivia question. Who is the current mayor of Corpus Christi? And that about does it for this week's In the Oil Patch. For Ken Bellato and Alvin Bailey, I'm Roy Holly. So long. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellato, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.